us, Lord, to hear from you and in hearing from you, do our best to become all you want us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What does it take for something to be used in the best possible way? Whether it's a pair of scissors, a lawnmower, an appliance, or anything else, what, what does it take for that item to be used to its maximum capacity? Well, first, it must be present to be used. You say present? Yes, present. In other words, you have to have one in order to use it, right? If a hammer is not present, then you're not going to be able to use that hammer. If you need some scissors and you can't find any scissors, then you're in trouble. Secondly, the item must be available to be used. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, well, if it's present, it's available, not necessarily. For example, you may need a pair of scissors, and you have a pair of scissors in the house, but somebody else is using them. So if somebody else is using the pair of scissors, those scissors are not available. So they must be present, they must be available, and then thirdly, they must be functioning properly. Whatever it is that you're going to use, it must be functioning the way it was intended and designed to function. If something is broke, it doesn't matter whether you have it or not. It doesn't matter whether the broke item is available. If it's broke, it won't work. So here's a challenge. What will it take for you to be used by God? My brothers and sisters, I submit to you, in order for you to be used by God, you must be present. You must present yourself to the Lord to say, Lord, here I am. But it's not enough to be present because some of you are present every week and you're still not letting the Lord use you. While you must be present, you must make yourself available. You must say to the Lord, Lord, I'm available to be used by you. You know, a lot of people do not allow themselves to be used by God and they claim they're not available because they don't have time. But you know what I've learned in life? When you go back over the Bible, Jesus never called anybody who wasn't already doing something. You know why? If people are lazy before they came to Jesus, they're going to be lazy after they come to Jesus. God is looking for people who are busy. But here's the third thing. You not only must be present and available, thirdly, you must make sure you are prepared to function properly. You must make sure you are prepared to be used by God in the way God has intended you to be used, in the way God has created you to be used. See, whether you realize it or not, God has a divine purpose for your life. God has a divine plan for your life. God wants you to do something that's going to allow you to be used to make a kingdom difference in the world today. And it's not just me that he's calling. He's calling you as well. So like a hammer in the hands of a carpenter, like the wrench in the hands of a mechanic, like a screwdriver in the hands of an electrician, God 
wants you in his hand so God can use you in a way that will bring glory and honor to him. Today, for a few moments, I want to talk to you from the thought how to be used by God. How to be used by God. If you have your outlines, would you say amen? If you need an outline, raise your hand and the ushers will get one to you. Three things I want you to see today coming out of 2 Timothy chapter 1 to encourage you to allow God to have his way in your life. Not just in terms of salvation, but in terms of service. Here's the first thing. Number one, you need to realize God has given you at least one spiritual gift. God has given each of you at least, at least one spiritual gift. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, God has deposited at least one gift in you. Listen, nobody has all the gifts, but everybody has at least one. Look at somebody and tell them you have at least one. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul identifies this genuine faith that is in Timothy. And he comments on this spiritual legacy that Timothy has behind him or as a foundation underneath him. He says, man, when I look back at your grandmother and I look at your mother, I see in you what was first planted and rooted in them. There are people here at this church who can trace their spiritual lineage in terms of their family tree back two, three, four. There are some who can go as deep as five generations here. But guess what? If you are a new believer, if you are the first in your family who has ever come to know Jesus Christ, that's okay too. Because the question is not, do you have a legacy? The question is, is the faith in you genuine or real? That word for genuine speaks to being without hypocrisy, without dishonesty. Uh, another word is authentic, right? Um, there's a difference between costume jewelry and real jewelry. And all you have to do is put some jewelry under a stress test to discover whether it's real or fake. Now, the stress test doesn't have to be much. For example, if you just get in the shower once or twice with some of that costume jewelry, it ain't got to be stressed hard, you know what I mean? And you better not get in the ocean with it or in a pool with some chlorine because you already know what's going to happen, right? It is created to give the appearance of reality, but it's really fake at its core in essence. And Paul says, let's see if you have a genuine faith or if you have a fake faith. Fake faith sounds good and looks good on Sunday. Genuine faith shows up Monday through Saturday. Fake faith can sound good in the celebration, but a genuine faith shows up in service. 
That word for faith there speaks to a belief in or a conviction of something, a dependence upon, and in this context, it's referring to a dependence upon God and his word. The Bible says Timothy had this tremendous legacy of genuine faith, a real faith, and Paul says, I see it in you as well. And so here's his challenge to Timothy, and parenthetically, his challenge to you and to me. Can we see that real faith show up in real service? The faith that you claim that you have, God says, where's the evidence that your faith is real? He says, God has put this gift in you. That word gift, charisma, in the original language, is referring to a spiritual endowment. It is called by some a grace gift. It is that which is deposited within you by God, not because you deserve it, but because the world and the body of Christ needs it. See, every one of us are to fulfill our role in the church through the body of Christ so that we can be complete and whole. There is no body who is complete when parts of their body is missing. And there is nobody who is fully functioning if parts of their body are sick or not well. And you know what we call people who are less than whole or who are not functioning at peak capacity? We call them disabled. We call them handicapped. Why? Because they don't have everything functioning at peak capacity. I submit to you, my brothers and sisters, that there are too many churches, including the Good Hope Church, who are disabled. Handicapped ministry because we are not functioning at our full capacity because everybody is not utilizing the gift God has given to them. This grace gift is given, not because it's deserved. It's given to you by God because God wants to use you in the kingdom work. I told you, everyone has at least one gift. No one has all the gifts. Let's help you figure out which gift God has given to you. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. 1 Corinthians 12, 4, let's read it together. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. Here's the second thing. Number two, you need to identify and stir up the gift God's given you. You need to identify and stir up the gift God's given you. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, Therefore I remind you, underline that phrase, remind you, to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Everybody under the sound of my voice, everybody who's streaming today, everybody who's watching on whatever social media platform you are watching, God has deposited a gift in you. 
And God wants you to make a difference in the world that you live in. Now, here's the problem. The problem is not what God has deposited in you. The problem is your willingness to use what God has put in you. One of my favorite movies of all time, it'll be on during the holiday season, It's a Wonderful Life. Frank Capra, classic. And there's a character, the main character, George Bailey, played by Jimmy Stewart. And George Bailey is at a point now in his life where money has been misplaced through no fault of his own, and his business is about to be foreclosed on and taken over. And George Bailey gets to a point as he looks at a life insurance policy. He starts questioning whether he's worth more dead or alive. And then he prays a prayer. He says he wishes he had never been born. That prayer is overheard by an angel in the making by the name of Clarence. And Clarence is talking to George, trying to help George to see that his life really matters. And when he says to Clarence, I wish I had never been born, it probably would be better if I had never been born, Clarence looks up and says, can we do that? And the world changes. And now George Bailey sees the world as if he had never been born. George's little brother, Harry, that he saved in his life, died falling through ice. Which means the hundreds of soldiers that Harry saved in the war and became a war hero ended up dying because he never saved Harry. The pharmacist, old man Gower, who helped save hundreds of lives in a depressed state after his son died, gave the wrong medicine to a child. George Bailey was there to catch it and to help save Mr. Gower's life. But when George Bailey wasn't there, the little girl died, and Gower went to prison. On and on they showed where George Bailey made a difference. Now, George Bailey wasn't no big shot. He he wasn't a politician. He wasn't an important person. Nobody ran up to George Bailey to get his quotes. He was just a regular guy. And the point of the movie is, even as a regular person, your life matters. Now, you may look at other people and say, their lives matter more than I do. And I submit to you that their lives are not as important as yours in terms of the using of your gift. Think about it for a moment. How different would the world have been if Michael Jordan never picked up a basketball or Tiger Woods never picked up a golf club? How different would the world be if Aretha Franklin never sang or Fred Astaire never danced? How different would the world be if Martin Luther King Jr. never said, I have a dream? Or Abraham Lincoln never wrote the Emancipation Proclamation. And as significant as as their contributions have been to the world, I submit to you, your failure to use your gift 
to its fullest capacity is more significant than them not using their earthly talents. You know why? What they did brought relief on earth. But your spiritual gifts are intended to not only reach people on earth, but to help change lives for eternity. Nobody's in eternity because Fred Astaire could dance so well. Nobody's in eternity because Tiger Woods could swing a golf club so well. But your decision to use your spiritual gifts, your decision to be used by God will not only help change time, it will help change eternity. So watch what he says. Stir up the gift God has placed within you. That, that phrase, stir up, is one word in the original language, and it, and it literally means to rekindle or reactivate. Um, to stir up the flame. Those of you who have ever sat in front of a fireplace or maybe a fire pit, or maybe a barbecue pit, and you were using coal or you were using wood, uh, that flame will begin to die down. As the outside of that wood or the outside of those coals become encrusted, and what you will need to do is take a poker. If it's a fireplace or a fire pit and you start jigging in between that wood and you start knocking off some of that burnt wood and getting down to some fresh wood and, and that flame that was going down will begin to rekindle or reactivate itself. Paul says you have a spiritual gift in you that you have been neglecting. And so you got to stir it up. You got to stick that spiritual poker in there and stir up the gift that God has placed within you. This phrase, stir up, is in the present tense, which means it's a progressive and continuous action that you are to continually stir up the gift. Because we all know if you leave a fire unintended, that unattended fire will eventually go down and go out. He says, you got to keep stirring up that spiritual gift. You got to keep using that spiritual gift. Think about the story of the talents. You remember Jesus gives one, the, the, the talent, one got five, one got three, one got one. And those who had the talents utilized their talents, and the one who had the one talent buried his talent. And then the Bible says when he brought the one talent back to the master, the master took his talent and gave it to the one who was using it. Uh, I remember my dad, my dad couldn't sing. He wasn't a singer. Every now and then he would happen across the right note. Like wrong note, right note, and then back down to the wrong note. And, but he kept on singing. He, his favorite song was Jesus Keep Me Near the Cross. That was his favorite song. And I remember, man, he, if he hit two or three notes in a row, he would say, uh-oh. i say, what's wrong? He said, uh-oh. He said, God done took that gift from somebody who wasn't using it, giving it to me. <laughs> You are to continually use the gift that God has deposited in you. Look at A. You must discover your gift. You must discover your gift. What is your gift? 
Discovery Seminar 301 is to help you discover your shape your spiritual gift, your passion, your ability, your personality, and your experience. Why? So you can serve in a place that is fitted to you in terms of how God has created you. If you are an introvert and you really don't like talking to strangers and you don't like meeting new people, the last place we need you is as a greeter. Your best friend may be a greeter, but that doesn't mean you're supposed to be a greeter. At least not out there greeting people. Maybe you need to be filling in the forms in the background and making sure the database is right. Because you may also have a skill set in computers and you may be literate in that way. Are you following me? You've got to make sure, though, that you are using the gift that God has given you and you've got to discover what it is. Why? Because ignorance and inactivity fuels spiritual immaturity. Let me say it again. Ignorance and inactivity will fuel spiritual immaturity. That's why there are many people in churches who have grown older but have not grown more mature. Paul says there are some of you who should be eating meat. You are still drinking Similac. You're supposed to be eating steaks and cooking for somebody else, and you still got a bottle in your mouth. And that immaturity is fueled when you don't exercise the gift that the Holy Spirit has deposited within you. Look at B. You not only must discover your gift, you must use your gift. You must use your gift. If you don't know what your gift is, you better sign up for 301 and find out what your gift is so you can get plugged into ministry. Why? Because that's how you grow. That's how you become stronger as a Christian. That's how you begin to walk in victory instead of staying in perpetual defeat. But B, you've got to use the gift that God has given you. Because watch this. The gift of the Holy Spirit is not static. It is something dynamic. It is something that is not delivered. It's something that must be developed. Your spiritual gift, the more you use that gift, the more you should develop that gift. And when you develop that gift and use that gift, you use it for the good and growth of others in the body and you use it to the glory of God. The good and growth of others and the glory of God. And watch this, your growth is a byproduct of using that gift. So here's what Paul says to Timothy and says to you and me. The gift is already in you. I just need you to fan it. I just need you to start stoking that poker in there and stir up what's in you. Holy Ghost has already put the fire in you. Pilot light is already lit. You just got to turn on the flame and start walking in who God has created you be. So that's why Paul says, don't neglect the gift you have. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, he says, don't neglect it. Don't be careless about the gift. Don't make light of the gift. Don't minimize, listen to me carefully, the gift that God has placed in you while you're trying to maximize the gift God has placed in somebody else. Don't sit there and say, man, if I had your gift, I would do this and that. No, God says, use your gift. Because your gift is a necessary part of the body for the body to function fully. 
then what would you say to the eye if the eye looked at the feet and said, man, if I had your feet, I'd turn my eyes in, man. You can't, we can't go nowhere without you. And then what if the feet said, well, you know what? I trade, man. I, I'd rather be eyes than feet because at least folk don't walk all on you, you know? And, and, and I can't get anywhere unless you show me the way. And then what if the hands say, well, you know, at least, at least folk ain't always getting you dirty all the time, you know? I, I don't even want to be a hand. You know, no, no. God says, we need all of you. Paul says, Timothy, stir up the gift. And can I tell you something about stirring up that gift? You don't need a fresh anointing. You just need to stir what you already have. You don't need no rhema words. You don't need to go to no conference. You don't need to pay hundreds of dollars. You don't need to stand in a long line to get slapped upside the head and fall backwards and somebody lay a sheet over. You just need to start using the gift you already have. Look at somebody and tell them, stir it up. Just stir it up. Here's the last thing, and then I'm going to let you go. Number three, you must serve out of the strength God provides you. You must serve out of the strength God provides to you. Now, I want you to notice something. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, comes after 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. Right? Verse 6, he says, stir up the gift of God. And then in verse 7, it's as if Paul says, now, I know you have some concerns and you may have some what you believe are legitimate reasons to not stir up the gift. So I'm telling you in verse 6, stir up the gift. You say, but Paul, you don't understand. Paul said, oh, I understand. Go to verse 7. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. That word fear speaks to cowardness, timidity. And that, that word is never used in a positive sense. In other words, that word for fear, delia, is never used in a positive way. It's always negative. Scurred. Paul says the number one thing that you have to get past in order to use your gift is fear. It's fear. You're scared. Why are you scared? I ain't scared of nothing. No, you're scared. You're scared. I said it. You're scared. Now, you figure out what you're scared of. You're scared to make a commitment. You're scared to make a mistake. You're scared of what people will say. You're scared of what people won't say. I don't know what you're scared of, but Paul says there's too many of us in the body who are afraid. And he says fear doesn't come from God. So if you are afraid, guess who sent you that spirit of fear? See, see the devil wants to cripple you, to keep you from being used by God. That's his goal, because watch this. If he keeps you inactive, it's as if you don't exist. So if you are inactive and you act as if you don't exist, then the devil doesn't have to worry about you. 
Because he know God can't use you when you are inactive. Watch what he says. God gives you an antidote for fear. A, he says power. Go to B, he says love. C, he says sound mind. Fill those in and let me drop some nuggets in before I let you go. A, he says God gives you a spirit of power. He gives you power, dunamis, ability, miraculous power. God ordained power. He says God gives you not a spirit of fear, but he makes available to you power. What would you say about somebody? You go over to their house and it's dark. It's night out. And they walking around in the dark. And you say, why, 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 why are you walking around in the dark? Because um, I, I didn't turn lights on. And you say, well, are lights turned off? Did you paid the electric bill? Yeah, I paid the electric bill. Well, then why don't you turn on a light switch? And you walked over and hit the light switch and all the lights came on. What, what would you say to a person who's walking around who has power, but they choose to walk around in the dark? You'd be like, what's wrong? Is there a seance going on or something? What, what, why are you? Light bobbing your eyes? What is it, right? Because it doesn't make sense for somebody to have power and walk around in darkness. Listen, it doesn't make sense for somebody to walk around with a spiritual gift, access the power, and don't use the gift that God has placed in you. God has made available power. That's what Acts 1.8 says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. Telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's where people know you. In Judea, where people don't know you. In Samaria, where people don't like you. To the uttermost parts of the earth, where people don't expect you. You can be used by God everywhere. But look at B, God gives love. He doesn't give fear, he gives love. Agapao, right, from that word agape. This is an unconditional love that is not based on what's deserved, it's based on what's needed. It is a love that is the exercising of a will that loves us at our worst to help us become our best. God, God says, I have provided a spirit of love, man. I love you. And, and you don't serve to get approval. You serve because you have been approved by God. You serve out of the inexhaustible well of God's love. And then look at C. He gives us a sound mind. A sound mind. He gives us access to a sound mind. Sound mind speaks to self-control. Sound mind speaks to discipline. A sound mind speaks to... Uh, reasonable and rational and spirit-led thinking. And can I tell you a little secret that I've learned over the years, maybe not for me, uh, uh, but, but, or maybe not for you, maybe this is for the person next to you, but you know what I figured out? Especially when you're in your flesh, your first mind is normally not your sound mind. 
Like when you get mad and you're ready to tell somebody off, that's normally not your sound mind. That's, 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 that's not even God's mind. That's your thing in your flesh. That's why they tell you when you get mad, write the email, but don't hit send. Either save draft or hit delete, right? Go back and read it a couple of days. If you're still mad two or three days later, then you're still mad. you got something to be mad about. If you done got over it, just hit delete and let it go. You don't need to share everything that you think because just because you think it doesn't mean it's from God. How, how many times has somebody in your life, if not you, said something and then came back later on after they thought about it and you said, you know what, I... I apologize, man. I, I, I didn't even mean to say all of that. Or what's even worse when you say it and didn't even realize you said it. You say, I didn't say all of that. Did I say that? that? Oh, yeah, you said all of that. Here's the recording, right? You know. <laughs> God says, I have not given you a spirit of fear. I've given you power and love and a sound mind. And so Timothy says, or Timothy is told by Paul what I'm saying to you. Stir up the gift that God has placed in you. So I've told this story before, but I think it, it's appropriate here. Um, you know, growing up, I was a Nestle's quick kid. Loved chocolate milk. And, you know, that was back in the day where you couldn't buy pre-made chocolate milk, right? So you get that Nestle's quick, you know, pop that little top and throw a couple teaspoons in there, it would rest on the top of that milk, and you stirred it up, right? And, uh, now you, and you know God's gift to the world as a child was that strawberry quick, right? You know that? <laughs> Man, when we got that strawberry, you talking about some good milkshakes, boy, get some milk and then a little ice cream and throw that strawberry in it. Man, you talking about some good drinking then, right? But one of my friends told me about Hershey's chocolate syrup. I said, man, you ain't had no chocolate milk. So you had some Hershey chocolate syrup. I'm like, so of course, right, I go to the store. I got Nestle's quick in the cabinet, but I'm begging and pleading for my mama to get some chocolate syrup. And, and we didn't have any glasses because I broke all the glasses. So, you know, I, you know, you have those plastic glasses, like Tupperware glasses, right, um, that were indestructible. So I pour the milk in there, and then I pour some chocolate syrup in there. I squeeze some in there and no change. And so I squeeze some more syrup in there and it was no change. So I'm thinking maybe this is like invisible chocolate or something. Because I'm trying to figure out, man, why, why, isn't this ch why isn't this milk changing? And then I squeeze some more syrup in there. Still didn't change. Then I took a sip of the milk. I'm like, God, man, this ain't no chocolate milk, man. I thought he told me this chocolate, man. It ain't no chocolate milk, man. This Hershey syrup don't even work. That's literally what I said in my mind. This chocolate syrup don't even, it doesn't work. And then I read the directions. It's amazing how things change when you read directions, y'all. I read the directions, and it said squeeze in. One teaspoon of milk or one tablespoon of, of syrup to eight ounces of milk and stir. And I said, stir? I said, oh. I said, well, let me get a spoon. And I put the spoon in, and I could barely move the spoon. 
And I stirred it up, and, and that milk was somewhere between deep, dark chocolate and black. And I said, oh, there it is. And I'm stirring, and when I tasted it, it was so sweet. I said, oh, my God, this is horrible. And I'm saying, man, I can't throw it out. I had to get three more glasses of milk, <laughs> put a half a little bit in there. I think that I think that has really helped facilitate my lactose intolerance right now. I really do. I had to drink like three or four glasses of milk just so my mom wouldn't get mad and feel like I wasted the milk and the syrup, right? Because, of course, she came back to me, where all the milk go? I'm like, uh, had some chocolate milk, right? But here's the point. It was in the glass all the time. I just couldn't see it and couldn't experience the benefit of it because I refused to stir it. I was ignorant. I didn't know I could stir it. And once I learned I had to stir it, I benefited from that Hershey's chocolate syrup. Here's all I'm trying to tell somebody in here. Stir up the gift that's in you. Just stir up the gift. Listen, you may not see it right now. I promise you it's in you. You just got to stir it up. And don't be comparing your gift to somebody else's gift. And if I had your gift, I'd turn my gift in. No, every gift is needed. Every gift is needed. Father, we thank you for today. And I thank you for this word. And I pray now, God, that you will bless right now in a special way that somebody in here who is listening, somebody who is listening via our streaming, somebody who's listening via social media platforms, God, I pray that they will stir up the gift that you have deposited in them because they will never fulfill their potential. The church will never fulfill its potential. The world will never be changed as you desire until each of us individually stirs up and uses the gift that you have deposited within us. We ask your blessings now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Everybody who can, everybody who will, 